ask you now to open your Bibles to the prophecy of Isaiah. This afternoon we'll be reading Isaiah chapter 64, but before we do that, in the regular order of things here, we will first have the collection.
what I attempted to do before the collection will now do, and that is turn our attention to the scriptures and to Isaiah chapter 64. And we'll read this passage in connection with Lord's Day 14 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which speaks about the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, his coming in the flesh. And especially we'll be referring to that first verse that speaks about him coming down to us. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence, as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you, who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. And all we, and all we are the work of your hand. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we all are your people. Your holy cities are a wilderness, Zion is a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and beautiful temple, where our fathers praised you, is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? Thus far. Now let's turn our attention to Lord's Day 14 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And just as a reminder, Lord's Day 14 is dealing here with what is true faith and the contents of true faith, as Lord's Day 7 talked about that, that what a Christian must believe, all that is promised to us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith teach us in a summary. And then we've dealt with the articles of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ his only begotten Son, our Lord, and now we turn our attention to He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. 
And the question is, what do you confess when you say he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? The eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself true human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the working of the Holy Spirit. Thus he is also the true seed of David and like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? He is our mediator and with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born so far. And after the sermon, we will sing Psalm 144, the stanzas 2 and 3. The theme for the sermon is as follows. The Lord tears open the heavens and comes down in the incarnation of Jesus. And that tears open is a different way of translating what we find in Isaiah 64, which talks about the Lord rending the heavens. So if you're taking this down, the Lord tears open the heavens and comes down in the incarnation of Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord said to Moses at the burning bush, take off your shoes because you are standing on holy ground. And that also applies to what we confess when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ who was conceived of the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary. There's nothing ordinary about the conception and birth of Christ. God rends, that is, he tears open the heavens in a most dramatic fashion and comes down to be present with us. Emmanuel, God with us. The almighty and eternal Son of God, he who is equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit in glory and honor and majesty, he who was and who is and whoever shall be world without end, he took upon himself our human nature in the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary. The eternal God came down to us to redeem us from our sin and guilt. We who by nature are children of wrath and deserve nothing but everlasting punishment of body and soul, are given a Savior, a Redeemer, who endured the wrath of God for us. Ever since the fall into sin, the history of redemption is the story of God coming down to His people. He comes down not in a condescending way, but to seek and save the lost. Nowhere does the Bible suggest that human beings should somehow claw their ways up to God 
by their own efforts. No, for salvation, God comes down to us. That's the story of redemption from beginning to end. And so it is also our story. Immediately after sin shattered the relationship between God and our first parents, what did God do? He came down to look for Adam and Eve. You see, the road of redemption runs from heaven to earth and not from earth to heaven. God keeps coming down toward us. He came down from heaven in the awesome display of his power when he led the people Israel through the Red Sea. God came down to lead his people through the wilderness. We read in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21 and 22, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So in that, the glory of the Lord came down and was revealed to the people when he opened the skies and gave a display in that cloud of his holiness and might. It also was apparent when he spoke to his people in the thunder and the lightning on Mount Sinai. The glory of the Lord that came down filled the tabernacle and temple. And when that glory departs, as it did in the days of Ezekiel, the people had no assurance of the Lord's presence with them to bless and to guide them and to lead them along the way. And so knowing that the Lord had to come down to redeem his people, the faithful prayed for the ultimate descending of the Lord. And that's what we read in the petition of Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Isaiah pleads with the Lord, asking him to tear apart the heavens. In that same chapter, the prophet expresses why the Lord needs to come down. The sins of this people need to be removed. Verse 5, Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? And verse 6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. The miracle of the virgin birth is the climax of God's gracious coming down in order to seek and to save a people lost in sin and guilt. And this is recognized by those looking for the consolation of Israel. For example, Zechariah, the husband of Elizabeth and the father of John the Baptist, he sings, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, 
For he has visited, that is, he has come down and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Yes, the Lord came down to redeem in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And when the Lord Jesus comes down to save, he does not appear in a dazzling display of might to impress everyone but in the simplicity and humility of the incarnation, the coming in the flesh. The Lord rends the heavens and comes down in the person of Jesus, the one who emptied himself of all his heavenly glory for your and my sake. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. He took upon himself That is, he accepted the form of a servant in order that he might be your and my Savior and mediator. Now the glory of his godly nature was hidden behind his human nature. For who would have thought that the, and noticed that the child wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger was the Son of God? But that's who he was. And so it was that the Lord of all creation, the one, the Word made flesh, that one who would stoop down to look upon the heavens and the earth, he stooped down from heaven to take the form of a servant. The eternal Son of God created his own mother and then Before all the angels, the Father sent forth His Son. The Lord who comes to us is entirely different from who we are by nature. Being human, we are constantly reaching for that which belongs to God alone. Think alone of the story of the Tower of Babel where people were trying to build something up into the heavens. But Jesus took on the nature of a servant. And we are not satisfied with that role, are we? He came down, but we keep trying to build towers up to heaven to gain prestige and to be on top and to to have a great name for ourselves. Beloved, something truly miraculous, momentous, and marvelous took place when God opened the skies to come and save us and ransom us from our sins. Christ assumed our flesh and blood to save us from all our sins. He accepted our human nature with all its weaknesses. He knew what awaited him, and yet he was willing to stoop below his godly dignity to come down for you and for me, for our eternal salvation. God's Son knew before he came down that he need not expect anything but hatred, misery, and enmity. His conception and his birth, his coming down would culminate in him being lifted up on a cross 
being despised and rejected and misunderstood and under the righteous judgment of God. And yet, the Son of God took upon himself our nature and never regretted it because this act was performed in love for his people. When the angel announced to Mary the conception of the Messiah, Mary asked the angel, how shall this be since I have no husband? And the angel Gabriel uncovers the mystery for her when he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And those words of Gabriel have been summarized in our catechism with the phrase, through the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come down upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Yes, the Holy Spirit brings about the unity of the Son of God in heaven and the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary. He works something that never happened before and never will happen again. Our human nature is totally depraved at conception already. So if the Son of God had not taken upon himself our flesh and blood at that moment from conception, we would be totally deprived of all God's blessings. And so, brothers and sisters, praise God for the mystery of the Incarnation. He made a new beginning right where we set off on the wrong foot. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. His origin is of heaven. And anyone who denies that Jesus came down from heaven cannot be saved. The Son of God was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary to restore us to communion with God. And He remained God. Even as He took upon Himself our human nature so that He could truly do what He was called to do as the mediator of the covenant and the head of His church. He bore the cross and despised the shame in love for His people so that they should not come under the curse of God. Yes, Christ did it in love for his brothers and sisters, for you and for me. The Father tore open the heavens to bring us salvation in his Son. And his coming in our flesh and blood allows us now to set our hearts and minds on the things that are above. What the Lord did comforts and encourages us immensely. For now, above the cradles of the children of the covenant, you do not find a death certificate, but a certificate signifying and sealing the validity of God's word, his promises, and his faithfulness. Every covenant contains two parts a promise and an obligation. And here, too, we are called to respond to God's coming down by lifting our hearts on high to the place where Christ has gone 
after accomplishing what he came down to earth to do. Joel 2 verse 13 calls us to come down. But off of our high horses. And to rend our hearts in repentance. He writes, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And as we repent, we are to acknowledge that what Christ came to do was entirely necessary. When Jesus came down to this earth, that is, when God tore open the heavens, he did so in fulfillment of the promises he made to Abraham and David and to all the Old Testament saints who eagerly awaited the coming of the Lord. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He becomes one of us in order that we may become one with Him. He redeems His covenant people from their sins. He covers in the sight of heaven the sins in which we were conceived and brought forth. And then he sets us on the path of new obedience. His coming down to earth allows us to approach the heavenly throne of God Almighty without having to fear that we will be cast aside. Well then, give thanks to God for the benefit of Christ's conception and birth. The gospel message is about promises that are being fulfilled. You're not told about promises that cannot be kept, but you are told about promises which have been fulfilled in Christ and in His coming. And this gives such comfort to you as parents. The cradles and cribs of our children find their significance in the child who was born in Bethlehem. Our children conceived and born in sin are sanctified in Christ. That is, they are devoted to Him and handed the same set of promises which apply to you and me. They already have those promises in the womb. In the conception and birth of Jesus, our birthdays too may be times of great celebration. In a couple of weeks, U.S. congregation will celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the good news of the conception and the birth of the mediator of the covenant also makes this celebration festive. For there you commemorate that your sins are covered in the sight of heaven through the mediator who worked deliverance where life begins at conception. This Savior started His earthly journey where our lives begin. And therefore, He is fully aware of what it means to be human. And He can truly sympathize with every one of your needs. At one time, He too was a boy. 
Boys and girls, are you listening? He who came down to this earth came down for you too. And he knows exactly all the struggles that you face, all the things that go on from day to day in your life. He knows every one of us, no matter where we are in life. He knows the struggles that come along with being single. You can go to him, your mediator, when you are lonely, despairing, frustrated by what life throws at you. For he was made like you in every respect. He has the power to help. And what this requires of us is faith. Trusting in the Lord. Not constantly challenging whether He has the power to do it, but to submit ourselves into the faithful hands of our Savior. Yes, our hands are to be stretched out to Him so that He might fill us with His blessing. Faith accepts the story of the incarnation as gospel truth and then sets out to apply this truth to our lives as those ransomed and redeemed through the blood of our incarnate Lord. The incarnate Son of God is the fulfillment of the covenant promises made to Abraham. And at the same time, Jesus came to this earth as the true seed of David, as the Prince of Peace, and as the King of Kings. Christ is born in Bethlehem as the Son of David. The sentence in the Catechism that says the eternal Son of God is also the true seed of David seems to imply that Mary was of the tribe of Judah. But the Bible does not say that. Joseph was the son of David. Upon the revelation of the Lord, he accepts the mystery of the miraculous conception and birth of the son of David. Joseph steps aside so that the legal right of royal might is with Jesus. In the world of the Bible, Jesus was regarded as a son of David because Joseph was a son of David. To Israelites, the legal tie between father and son was as real as the tie of the flesh. And thus, Jesus' birth announcement can be written up as the birth announcement of a king. Indeed. The scripture promised that the Messiah would be born of David's line. But not one of the sons of David before Jesus could bring redemption because they were all sinners. Jesus is born as the true seed of David. You wouldn't say it if you saw him in the manger at Bethlehem or as he was playing with the children out in the streets of Nazareth. You wouldn't say this is the one who came down from heaven and that he is of royalty. If you saw him busy helping his dad in construction, 
or as he was on the cross. The Jews at the time had hoped he would rule as a political force to be reckoned with. But when he did not deliver according to their expectations, they crucified him. But Christ did not come to meet human expectations, but the expectations of his heavenly Father. He was sent down to the earth to secure deliverance for his people, a redemption that would last forever. Jesus was born in the line of David, but before he could accept royal honor and glory, he was called to make the sacrifice of a priest. Yes, the Son of God came down from heaven to earth to make atonement for your and my sins. And the sacrifice that he made went up to the Father as a sweet-smelling aroma so that the heavens would once again go open to the voice of the Father speaking, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. As we know, the incarnate Son of God now rules from heaven, having accomplished that all that he was called to do during his earthly ministry. The Father tore open heaven to come down in mercy, grace, and love. And as a result of his coming, we can lift our hearts on high where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And there, in our flesh and blood. Jesus applies to us the great benefit of his incarnation by once again rending the heavens and sending down the Holy Spirit. And this Spirit is sent to us to direct us to look up and seek the things that are in Jesus. By the power of the Spirit, our thoughts and our lives are turned upward to find our hope and comfort in Him who has in heaven all the evidence that He did come down in Him who is worshipped as the Lamb who was slain. Brothers and sisters, the incarnation of Christ is, is now the mystery from which true godliness springs. Paul finishes this thought when he writes, He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the, among the nations, was believed on in this world, was taken up in glory. Yes, the essential secret and ingredient of godliness is Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, brought God close to you and me to live and dwell among us. Great indeed is the mystery of our religion. Well, let us live each day praising God for the miracle of the incarnation by looking up to the God who has come down to us. Amen.